Continue to pray. Continue to pray for that, that week uh, as you think about it. Thank you guys for coming on up. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, starting at verse 1, and we're going to go uh, down to verse 24 today. And um, I would love for someone to maybe read this for us. I'm thinking, Jens, would you be willing to read this for us? 1 through 24. I'm going to give you this mic, so... All right, Luke chapter 10, verse 1 through 24. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Oh, it's so hard not to stop there. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bags, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first, say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons were subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And in this same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, 
that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Thank you, Jens. I'll keep that. As the word of the Lord, this is where we are going today in a big passage, right? A lot going on in this passage. I imagine that if they were making a blockbuster movie nowadays of like this passage, there'd be a lot of elements that they'd bring in or they'd try to draw out as this story unfolds. Luke gives us um, a, a direction. He gives us the flow of the story. He leaves a lot of things out that we may be curious about, uh, but he gives us the basics that we need and the words of Jesus and the accent of Jesus that we need to see uh, the truth for us today. But I imagine there, there's so much intrigue here. They're, they're going out on a journey, and it's just it's, it's great that, that we were able to pray for some folks going out on a journey this week. Uh, and and to, to, to hear and to expect and to anticipate what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And I kind of see this going on with this group. This, this group, we'll talk about the 72, the, the group is going to go out, and I bet there's some anticipation, maybe even some nervousness, about going out on this trip. I know going out on some of my first missions trips, there's some nervousness and anxiety about, okay, what's going to go on? It's expected. It's a country I've never been to. All these things swirling through your head. So I bet you there's some anxiety within this traveling party. I, I see this... Um, it says that Jesus is going to send him out in teams of, of two. And if we were making a movie on this, you know, what's the drama behind sending out in the teams of, of two? Had you ever been in like a sports team or a sports activity? And you're like, okay, we're going to have two, two people and picking teams. And you're like, oh my gosh, which team am I going to be on? Am I going to click? Is this going to work? Am I going to be on the winning team? And, you know, I wonder if there's a little drama going on there as these teams are being picked or assigned maybe even by Jesus. Jesus gives them the missions briefing, and like any good blockbuster movie, like something like Mission Impossible, you know, it comes on, this is your mission if you choose to accept it, kind of speech by Jesus as he's giving them their instructions. And then he tells them, we're going to see this in the story, he tells them, you're not supposed to take anything. This reminds me of these reality TV shows that we see nowadays. They're all, they're raised. We're going to drop you somewhere, right? And you've got to fend for yourself for like two weeks on your own. It kind of has that kind of feel. And I can imagine that would be some of the anxiety by this group. It's like, we're going to see the things that Jesus says, well, don't take these things. Don't take your bag. Don't take food. Don't take this. You're going to stay in someone else's house. This is going to, you know, it's, these things will be provided for you. And I can imagine there's some anxiety in that. There's, there's possible rejection of the heroes. Ever know, have any stories like that? Any movies you've seen like that where the heroes in the middle of the show, there's this climax coming and there's this critical spot and they're rejected, they're down. There's possible rejection. I'm just thinking as I'm thinking of this story, if, if we were to make a movie out of this, and of course there's demon exorcism. <laughs> yeah, how exciting is that? All right, how exciting is that? So anyway, here we have Jesus sending out these 72. He says, after this, after he's given them teaching, we, we saw last week that uh, he was really kind of taking a turn. This, this is a turn in the ministry where he's been wandering around as the, 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 the wandering pastor, preacher type figure going to all these towns and villages. And then within Luke, this is the place where now all of a sudden it says, last week you saw his face was set on Jerusalem. What does that mean? Everything that's happening now is starting to be directly related to the journey to the cross. 
He is heading for the cross. Everything now is, is now this path to Jerusalem where we know the end of the story. If we read the Gospels, we know the end of the story where Jesus is going to walk the path of the cross. But in Luke, this is a pivotal spot where his mission changes, and now it is very much focused on, on walking to the cross. We're going to see a lot of preparation for his disciples, a lot of times where he pulls them aside. We saw that last week. He pulls them aside. I've got something to tell you. This is critical. This is critical. Critical passages about counting the cost, counting the cost of following him. They, they, they didn't understand. We talked about last week them not asking questions, them not inquiring, and their actions that led out from that and, and, and some of the selfishness that they experienced because they wouldn't approach Jesus with their questions. Uh, and so this is now, we are, we are on, we've taken this turn, we're on the road to the cross, and now he says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, so we often think of the disciples as the appointed ones, right? The anointed ones by Jesus, and now all of a sudden, he says he's appointed 72 more people, sent them out in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. Interesting number, you know, interesting, interesting. We, we know the 12 disciples, now, all of a sudden, Luke is telling us about these 72 other people who are going to go out as well. What I see Luke doing and what a number of commentators see Luke and the Gospels doing as they're telling the story and reinforcing the story as the Messiah for the world. You think of the 12 disciples often representing the 12 tribes of Israel. We saw the 12 disciples were commissioned earlier to go and have this same experience as these 72. And so uh, as a lot of commentators will say, hey, you've got the 12 disciples who represent the nation of Israel. Now, it's interesting, the Jewish understanding, or for many Jewish scholars back in the day, in the first century, their understanding of the world around them is they would go and they would look at passages like Genesis 10, where it starts listing out names and, and nations that were going to come out, all right? And their understanding of the world is that there were 72 nations in the world. So think about that. So their understanding, a lot of their understanding was there were 72 nations in the world. So here you have the 12 disciples going out earlier. Now you have the 72 going out earlier. Do you see how the gospel writers are tying in what Jesus has been telling us from the beginning? Okay, this is a movement coming out of the nation of Israel. I am Israel's promised Messiah. And they thought it stopped there within those walls, within those borders. But as the story goes on and on and on, we continue to see where Jesus and then the gospel writers like Luke are saying, this is a much bigger story. This is a much bigger story. I think there's purpose behind this. I think there's a plan behind this to say that, ah, all of the nations of the world are included in this movement or have opportunity to be part of God's kingdom. I think that's a significant, a significant thing that Luke is, is telling us here. So here we have, again, Jesus reinforcing that this good news is for every single person, every single person. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that because we have people who don't like us or we don't like them or they go against us or they don't agree the same way we agree and we sort of start to let our differences push us apart from one another. When Jesus says this movement, this thing, this, this kingdom work, the kingdom is near. This is the message. The kingdom is near, and it's expanding. It's going to expand into the whole world. It's a combination of Jew and Gentile. 
It's a combination of Jew and Gentile, and this is a beautiful, beautiful story. So he's going to commission these folks to go out, and it's interesting. For them, he says, he says, hey, you're supposed to go where I'm going to go. He's specifically sending them to places where then he is going to go and minister as he's on his way to Jerusalem. As I look at that, I'm reminded that we need to be secure and sure about who is leading the way, right? Who's leading the way as we go and minister, as we live our lives? Who's leading the way? Who's commissioning us to go? Who's sending us out? Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, right? Often we get tripped up because we want to do our own thing. We want to go our own thing. But as he gives these instructions to this group of 72, it becomes very clear that he is leading the way. He is going to be for their provision. God is going to provide for them. And there is a sense of urgency in this mission. We're going to see that there's a sense of urgency in this mission. And th- there is a great need out there. He says, and I know Jens wanted to stop here, and Jens a preacher, so that's, it's, it's, it's dangerous to give Jens the passage reading because he could probably just stand up there and, and go through it. But um, he says in verse 2, he told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Big harvest out there. That's still true for today. Do we feel that? Do we see that? It's still true for today. And, and he, says, he says this to them. He says, therefore, pray. It's like a command. Therefore, pray. Pray for what? Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out the workers into the harvest. We could be good at praying, especially praying, Lord, please fill the streets with people who are spreading your name, right? Who are sharing your, your name. Sometimes we get hung up on the next thing that Jesus does with his disciples. And we've talked about this before. This is, not, this is not new. First off, we want to connect with God through prayer and understand his will and his purpose. Jesus tells them, he says, that the harvest is abundant. The, the, the fields are ripe for this. The fields are ripe for this. So pray that people go out into that harvest and spread the good news. And in verse 3, critical phrase, critical two words in, in, in my translation, he says to them, now go. Now go. It's like Jesus is telling them, guess what? This is what we're praying for. And you guys are already the answer to that prayer. God has already set you up to be the answer to that prayer. Do you, when you pray, do you, do you think about that? Do you, do you ever think about that? We just prayed for a, a team to go to Guatemala and they've, they've recognized a call on, on their lives at this moment in time to go out into the fields and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And we can, we can spend all day, we can pray and pray and pray for the other people who are going. But in this story, Jesus says, yes, pray, 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 because we need people in the fields. And then he says, now go. Now go. Do we sense the same urgency on that call on our lives. Maybe there's something in your life that you're, you're struggling with, a decision that you're, you're needing to make, and maybe it's to help a certain person or a group of people. Maybe it's to go on a trip. Maybe it's to, to do something that's outside of your comfort zone, and you're, you're praying, and you're praying, and you're praying, and you're praying, and maybe every once in a while you feel the little prick that says, yes, 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 but oh, no, I'm going to keep praying and praying and praying and praying for the option that sort of appeals to me. Jesus says, pray. Go, because you are the answer 
to this prayer. You are the answer. You are the, the answer, God's answer to this prayer. Now go. And he continues in verse 3. I'm sending you out like lambs among the wolves. Whew. This is tough. That's tough. Lambs among wolves. What do you imagine happens when lambs go out among the wolves? What do wolves want to do? Devour them. They want to eat them alive. In fact, when Scripture talks about wolves, when the Bible talks about wolves, it's, it's usually a, a description of power or this devouring force. I got a couple of verses, and if you, we can keep up on the screen, that's great. But Matthew 7, be on your guard against false prophets who have come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravaging wolves. Acts 20, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. That's devouring language. As Zephaniah, back in the Old Testament, the princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are wolves of the night, which leave nothing for the morning. Jeremiah, therefore a lion from the forest will strike them down. A wolf from arid plains will ravage them. Leopard stalks their cities. Anyone who leaves them will be torn to pieces because of their rebellious acts. Jesus says, okay, he's he's asked them to count the cost. He shared with them about what it means to actually go and follow him, all right? And the last passage is what we saw, and he's just putting the truth out there. We will meet resistance. We will meet forces out there, whether they are spiritual forces or physical forces, that will want to stop the spread of the gospel message, that will want to stop us from actually doing the works that Jesus has set before us. Do we believe this church? Do we recognize this church? And Jesus right there lays this truth right before them, saying this is the reality. Why is it the reality? Because he keeps telling them, telling them trying to reinforce the idea that we are no longer from this world. Right? Our kingdoms, our security, no longer come from the things of this world. And if they don't come from the things of this world, then it's going to be very, very obvious as we keep living for Jesus that there's a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger gulf between the culture of the world and the culture of the kingdom of God. And he says, as that gulf is expanding and recognized and seen, and as you sort of push back on the culture with the truth of the gospel... Of course, you're going to meet opposition from this world because we're coming in as aliens now, as residents of a a greater kingdom, a different kingdom, and it's run by different rules and principles. And so we're going to meet resistance. He continues to reinforce this idea that there is a cost. There is a cost to walking in the way of Jesus. Church, are we willing to take on that cost no matter what. He's continuing, he continually reinforces the idea that his way and the world's ways are going to be at odds. And therefore, there will be tension. There will be struggle. There will be difficulty. And we always have a choice. We can walk in the way of the lamb that Jesus says, I'm sending you out as lambs. Or we could walk in the way of the wolf, which is a devouring force, an attacking force, something that wants to tear down. That's one of the choices that we have to make as a church. As a church. And Jesus says, you know, this is, there's, this is, this is urgent, this is important. 
This is critical. I don't want you to get hung up on all the details, so I'm sending you out there. And, and he says things like, um, in, in, uh, in verse 4, don't carry a money bag, don't carry a traveling bag, don't carry sandals. I don't think he's actually telling them to go barefoot. I think he's telling them, hey, all these extra things that you, you feel are, are security to you, shed that. Shed that right now because you just have to go. You have to go. Don't greet anyone along the road, all right? This, this mission is critical. I'm sending you to the places that I'm going to go and continue to preach the gospel, continue to heal, continue to do my work as the Messiah. I'm sending you there first so that you can proclaim the kingdom is near. They're going to experience that, and then I'm going to walk into these towns, and they're going to continue to experience that, that kingdom. This is urgent. This is urgent, this is also a passage that reinforces the idea that, that Jesus is calling people to partner with him, all right? He's called his disciples, those 12 guys, and said, hey, you're going to go. You're going to go. They had some experiences. He calls a, a bigger group of people now to have these same experiences working in his power in his, with his truth and his words. And so this is a passage that says Jesus is asking people to partner with him. Do we hear this? Jesus has asked every single one of us in this room, if we are followers of him, to partner with him in the work. And as I'm looking around, I see a variety of, of, of spaces and experiences and places that we work and places that we may minister, and, and we don't all come here every single day, right? There, there's only a handful of us that come here every single day uh, to do the ministry of Faith Bible Church. Because guess what? You guys are blessed to go do the ministry of God's kingdom wherever he has placed you, wherever he's placed you. Just as he sent them out to go before him, he sends us out to go spread the good news of the gospel. And he's expanding this circle. This is why I think that, that, that number 72 is, is, is showing the, the expanding of the gospel, not just to the nation of Israel, but also to the whole world as they understood it. And it's an urgent task. Walk light, travel light. In fact, when you go to a house, first say peace to this household. If this is a person of peace, this is verse 6, person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him, but if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. All right, you, you need to eat, you need, you need to get substance, you need all that kind of stuff, because you're doing good work, all right? Don't move away from the house, or go to house to house. When you enter into town, they welcome you, eat the things set before you. You ever go on a trip and you fiddle with the details more than you actually enjoy the trip? Ever had that experience? Maybe you go on a vacation or you start to plan a vacation and you're like fiddling with all these details and you even get to the destination, you're still like fiddling with all the details. Well, I don't know. We may like to go here, may like to go here. And you totally miss out on the trip and the experiences around you. Uh, Jesus is reinforcing that this is urgent. This is, you don't have time to mess around with all the fine details. So I'm just giving you what you need. You go to a house, you stay there. If they welcome you in, you stay there, all right? Uh, you, you eat what's provided. You know, well, actually, you know what? We, we don't want to have this meal with you tonight. We may go down to the restaurant down the street. No, no, no. The most critical thing you're doing is spreading the good news of the kingdom instead of fiddling around with all the details of comfort, all right, and being settled, because maybe you enter a town, what happens if you enter a town and someone welcomes you in and then you get in there and like, well, this is not quite, you know, my, the, the bed I'm used to. It's not quite the food I, I've, 
I've come accustomed to or I enjoy. And I may, is it okay if I, we try that, that place, that inn down the street? And you know what? What, what are you doing there? What, what, are we, what are the 72 doing there? They're missing out on the work, right? They're missing out on the true work that needs to be done. Also, just like today, there were traveling pre- preachers who would go, and guess what? I'm going to give you a word from the Lord, and you're going to give me a little bit more money in return. And, and so there was a, a habit of, of people traveling around and saying, guess what? I'm going to come and, and bless you, but you're going to bless me. He says, no, we're not going to have any of this, all right? We're going to be above board, above reproach when we go out and share about the kingdom. This is good news. This is free news. This is open to anybody, no matter if they could compensate you or not. This is open to every single person. When you find a house that accepts the message, has an understanding of the message, and and you'll be able to find peace in that house, yeah, go ahead and stay there and stay put until the work is done because what is critical? Spreading the good news of the gospel. And he goes on and says in verse 10, when you enter any town, they don't welcome you. Go into the streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of your towns that cling to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain. The kingdom of God has come near. This is the basic message. I tell you on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. I think Jesus is saying, this is the task, this is the job, this is what I've called you to do, but guess what? Someone else is in charge of the results, right? Do we, do we understand this, that, that God is in charge of the results, right? God is ultimately in charge of the results of the work. We get hung up on the details, I've been on mission trips where it's like, oh my gosh, this is an evangelism trip. I don't, frankly, think I have the gift of just straight-out evangelism. Some of you guys here, men and women here, do, and you're awesome at it because you can just start a conversation and it just goes straight into it, all right? I go on to these trips, especially early on. It's like, oh my gosh, what do I say? What do I share? What do I know? Oh my word, it's not going to be good enough, right? Uh, Jesus is saying to them, just share what you know. I think this is what we do. We share what we know. What is a testimony? It's what we've experienced, what we've seen. These 72 have been walking with Jesus. They've seen Jesus' work. They've heard Jesus' words. He's asking them, share what you know. He says, here here it is, simply, the kingdom of God has come near. This is the message that they were waiting for. As they're going into Jewish towns, into Jewish neighborhoods, this is the message they were waiting for. All right, they were, an, they were eagerly anticipating the coming of the kingdom. They were waiting for it, the Messiah to rise up, and they would recognize, and he would rally them as a nation. All right, and these guys and men and women are going out and saying, hey, the kingdom of God is near. We know this. We've seen it. We've experienced it through the man, Jesus Christ. And I think as we think about the mission that Jesus has given us, we get, we get anxious at the details or, our, or our, where we feel that we're, we're lacking or our, our insecurities. I think Jesus just says to us, just, just share what you know. Share what you know. Give testimony. Give word to what you have seen, what you have experienced. I bet each and every one of us here, if we were followers of Jesus, could have one space, one, one part of our life where we're like, you know, I, I just I saw Jesus work. That is what I share. That is what I share with those who are hurting, those who are struggling. 
Oftentimes, I think it's that, that, that simple, personal testimony that becomes the most powerful tool of God as the Holy Spirit is leading you through. And, and Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He'll give you the words that you need. All right? Don't, don't sweat over that. Just share what you know. And again, Jesus reinforces the idea that, you know, someone else is in control. Someone else is in control of this process, and he goes in a little, into a little rift on what it means to, for those who reject the message. And he says in verse 13, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and in Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon were pagan cities. Think of enemies of, of Israel. Even they would have responded to this good news more than you are. Woe to you. Whoever listens to you, he's talking to the 72, whoever listens to you is listening to me. All right? Oftentimes we think that, oh no, all the eyes, the spotlight is on me. And if I screw this up, then that's bad news. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you, this is verse 16, whoever rejects you rejects me. Whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. They had an understanding that God was going to set up a man to come as the Messiah and bring the good news of the kingdom to the nation of Israel. Jesus says clearly, that's me, that's me. I'm proving it along the way. I'm walking the walk. I'm talking the talk of the Messiah. It's proved, it's done. So guess what? When you speak, it's gonna feel like rejection, but they're not actually rejecting you. Who are they rejecting? They're rejecting me as the Messiah. Guess what? They're rejecting God. The one that they say, specifically in this instance, as they're going to the towns in um, in uh, uh, the nation of Israel, they're rejecting the God that they claim to follow in his plan and purpose. It's going to feel like they're coming after you, but what they're doing is they're coming after me, Jesus says. And ultimately, they're rejecting Yahweh, the one true God that they claim to follow. In John 20, Jesus says to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Peace be with you. You can have the peace of the Lord because walk in confidence that as the Father has sent me to do and fulfill this work, I am now sending you out to do this work as well. And they go out. We don't get any details, really, besides the report back on what happened. So, you know, this is where you want to fill in the gaps. What, what did they actually do? How long were they gone? What did they actually do? What took place? But they came back jazzed, right? In verse 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. They came back jazzed. Again, going on a missions experience, missions trips, you come back jazzed? Come back excited. Okay, I had that experience a couple weeks ago. This, this crew and the, the crew that's going to Guatemala, they're going to come back jazzed after seeing what the Lord is doing down there. All right? And Jesus 
praises their efforts. He praises their efforts. He says to them, he says in verse 18, he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And this, this looks like it's past tense, but this is an ongoing thing. He says, as the kingdom is coming, as the kingdom keeps penetrating and the truth is shown, this, he says, I, we continually see these forces fall all around us. All right? The kingdom of Satan cannot stand as the kingdom of God comes in and fills the space. And people start following him. And so this is a continuum. He's a continually, it's like I'm, I'm watching Satan continually fall from heaven like lightning as the kingdom of God advances. As the kingdom of God advances, evil has to retreat. Evil has to retreat. This is what you're experiencing. And they are jazzed. They are jazzed by this. And he, he, reinfer, he reinforces this. He, re, he affirms their efforts. He says, look, in verse 19, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. And this is a metaphor for those spiritual forces and, all, and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you when you are following Jesus, all right? And nothing can take, basically nothing can snatch you out of God's hand, all right? That's the message there. Nothing's going to snatch you out of God's hand. Verse 20, this is important. One word in my translation, it says, However, however, it's an important word there. However, Jens, what did yours say? Nevertheless. nevertheless, nevertheless. So yes, you guys are jazz. You're excited because you saw these powerful things happening. And Jesus says, yes, it's like I saw Satan continually falling from heaven as the kingdom was advancing, as you're out there ministering. However, However, don't get too excited about some of the secondary stuff. Don't get caught up in the show. Get caught up in your true security. It says rejoice, or excuse me, however, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The joy that we are to have should come not because we can do magnificent things in Jesus' name. But it comes, the joy comes because of our relationship and our experiences as we walk with the living God. And he walks with us. And we are secure in his hands. Nothing can remove us, separate us, take us away from the love of our Savior and our God. And Jesus does rejoice in the work. And he, he prays a beautiful prayer as we're closing down this passage. He prays a beautiful prayer. It says, At that time he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. He often uses the, the, the illustration of a child. He says, It's the little child who comes. It's the little child who accepts and who trusts and who sees the love sees the open arms. It's often those who think they have it all together. They miss this thing. They miss the message. They miss the purpose. Yes, Father, because this was uh, your good pleasure. Verse 22, all things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father and who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Jesus again goes and starts talking about who are the ones who come into the kingdom of God. Those who are humble. Those who come as, as a child into 
the kingdom, ready to learn, ready to grow, ready to have the experiences that the Father will, will lead them hand in hand in. See, when we get older, what do we do? Our minds solidify. We, we've had experiences. We, we have knowledge of this world. And, and what do we start to do? We start to try to, to navigate. And if I make this choice, oh, this may happen. Well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to walk down that road. If I make this choice, well, this may happen. Oh, shoot, I don't want to walk down that road. Where a child's like, Father, I just want to go hiking on the trail. Father, hand in hand, let's go on that adventure, right? I trust you. I trust that you're going to lead me in the right direction. And he says, ah, that's, that's who's going to see the kingdom of God. It's been given to the infants. And the son knows the father, and the father knows the son and then the son reveals to father, the father to those that he desires. So this prayer reveals the unique role of Jesus in God's plan. See, the father and the son, they share a very deep knowledge of one another, part of the Trinity. Jesus, the son, has received the authority over everything from the father as he steps into the position of the Messiah. He receives authority from the Father. And he understands this. Jesus understands this position. He understands that this unique position is not for his sole benefit, right? But for the benefit of those who are around him. Us. And those who experience and see him for who he is as he reveals himself to us, we see God the Father through Jesus Christ. John 14 says, If you know me, you also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. <laughs> Philip pipes up, Show us the Father. That's enough for us. Well, Jesus just said, You know the Father because you've seen me. And Jesus says to him in John 14, I, Have I been among you all this time and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? This is what Jesus does. Jesus reveals God the Father to us. Again, salvation is in the hands of God and not ours. And as we go out and we witness and we share, we often get caught up in the burden of, oh my gosh, my gosh, it's my responsibility, my responsibility. Yes, he's given us a job to do. He's given us a road to walk down. But who ultimately, who ultimately is in control and is guiding this thing? God is. God is. And it's getting really hot here. So we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. I'm going to wrap this up and, and shorten this a little bit. But he, he closes this, this section, Jesus closes this section with encouragement to his disciples. And uh, he says, guess what? He says in this last little section, verse 23, he turns to them and he, he says, guess what? So many people have been waiting to experience this time. As he's talking with them, I, I think he, he's, he's processing through, they're processing through their, their scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, and, and recognizing and realizing who he's talking about. You think of Adam and Eve and the promises made to them after they, fall, after they fell in sin, and, and God still comes, promise, comes and promises them someone who would rise up and crush the head of that snake, who would make things right from the way that they had messed up. And you, you, think, of, you think of Moses and Moses. Moses, Moses says... Well, you think of Abraham first and, and what the promises were made to him to be a great nation. Then you think of Moses, and Moses says, hey, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among your brothers. Listen to him. Listen to him. David cries out about the Messiah. 
the promised Messiah. The prophets cry out about the promised Messiah. The Old Testament here is, is a crying out about the promised Messiah to come and what he would do, what to look for. And Jesus says, you are so blessed because you are actually experiencing this right here and right now. Peter will go on in his letter and say that concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched carefully and investigated. They wanted to know. They wanted to know. They wanted to see. They wanted to hear it. Jesus says, guess what? You've been able to see and hear what was promised for all of these years. Throughout your history, it has come right here, right now. And he says to us, he says this about us. In John 20, Jesus says to his, to his disciples, because you have seen me, you have believed. Okay, you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's, that's a word to us here, that we're walking in the same blessing that these disciples walked in. The same promises, the same truth, the same path. We are in the same line as these disciples. And he says, you will be blessed as well because you have not seen and you have believed. You had faith to believe. William Larkin, a, a commentator, says this. I have got the quote. Of, there, there it is. He says this about this, this story. With this matchless privilege came an, an accompanying responsibility to bear witness after they received the Spirit's power to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. They bore witness. They saw Jesus. They had his word. They had his truth. They decided to walk in his footsteps. And with that became, became a great responsibility to actually carry this word to the ends of the earth. We have come here today. We have heard Jesus. We have seen Jesus. We continue to walk with Jesus through this book of Luke. We've accepted Jesus as our Savior. And with that comes a great responsibility to carry the words of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, to the ends of this earth. Do we feel that? And maybe we just felt a pressure. I hope that's not the case, because as we talked about, what did he say? He says, it's urgent. Pray, connect with your Father. Go and share what you know. Share what you've experienced in your own life about the transforming power and work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. If there are some folks here who have never received Jesus as their Savior, we're, we're going to worship in a, in a couple minutes as a, a group, but please come see me. Come see Elder Mark who gave the announcements. Come see someone like Jens or, or Austin, Deacon Austin or, or Deacon Randy way back in the, the back. Come in and talk to us about what it means to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're someone sitting here and you're like, man, the fire's gone out. I just don't even know. I'm not experiencing the same thing. I just, I, I, I need, I've got questions. I've got doubts. Come again to the same group of people or, or the people who are sitting right next to you. Come and share that and ask Ask, ask your questions. Let's, let's work through this process together because that's what we do as a church, all right? Dear Jesus, we come. We recognize who you are as our Savior. We come united in you, in that work. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the, the courage and the boldness to go forth just as you gave the courage and the boldness to this group of disciples to go and walk in your word. I pray, Lord, that's as they go out and, and started to change communities, Lord, we would see that as our, our job as well. 
to walk in your truth, to share the good news that we've experienced, and then to see the transforming work that only you can bring. We come in Jesus' name. Amen.